into this message if I even get into it, really. We, um, we're doing a series on Wednesday night on the uh, riches of the righteous. And the, the message tonight is one that I have put off, to be honest with you. I put it off. I almost didn't preach it tonight. I don't know that I am going to be able to. I can try. But the uh, riches of the, of the righteous, one of them that we're going to look at tonight is, to be honest with you, it's hard to get my hands on. It's, it's hard to get my, my, uh, my mind around. I, 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 I've experienced it. I just don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to describe it. I asked him this morning, I said, how would you describe a fire to somebody that had never seen one or sat next to one? How would you describe the warmth of a fire to somebody that's never felt it? Just think about that a second. How would you describe it to somebody? How would you describe the fire, the flames, and the warmth, and what it can do for somebody that's never felt it or seen it? I don't even know how you would do that. You'd feel silly trying. Tonight, one of the greatest riches that a child of God has access to is the riches of His glory. Now, the Apostle Paul referred to it four or five times, the riches of His glory, riches of His glory, the riches of his glory. And I don't expect tonight for you to comprehend this because I don't think it's possible to. Several times Paul said, according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory. God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. There's a, there is a, there's a storehouse of his glory that we get glimpses of and we get, I don't know how to say it, but it's one of the riches that's available, the glory of God. Uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to pretend to follow me if you don't. Just listen. It was only till about 5 o'clock that I was able to put anything on paper. Because the child of God has been given an unimaginable treasure. The treasure is the riches of his glory. And his glory is something that I cannot even begin tonight to define. In fact... The word is used so much in the Bible to describe so many different things that it's impossible in one message to even begin to explain it. I'm going to shoot at it tonight. I'm going to shoot up in the dark and hope I hit something. But I, but I do, do want to say this at the beginning. His glory, experiencing the glory of God in our life is something that you and I can have. All right? 
Now, the riches of his glory is connected to our spiritual growth and our spiritual man. Paul in Ephesians 3.16, just listen, Ephesians 3.16 said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So we know that the riches of his glory is something that we can tap into in order to be strengthened in our inner man, which is what each and every one of us need. When we come to church, we're asking God to feed our spiritual man because we need our spiritual man to grow and to be strengthened. Our physical man many times gets most of our attention. We spend more time pampering and babying our flesh, bathing and showering and dressing it and, 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 and squirting cologne and perfume on it and fixing our hair and doing everything. We, 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 we feed and we snack and we drink all day and, and we're, we're feeding our physical man, but our spiritual man needs help. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. There's a spiritual building up that needs to take place. Somehow or another, the riches of his glory is something that we can access that would help us. Paul said in Ephesians 3 that he would grant you according to the riches of his grace to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. There's something about the riches of his glory that helps me grow stronger in my spiritual man, my inner man. The riches of his glory is somehow connected to the mystery of the gospel. In Colossians 1, 27, Paul said, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The riches of his glory is connected directly to our inheritance as Christians, as believers. Book of Ephesians talks about our inheritance, the riches we have in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 17, 18, and 19, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the riches of his, of his glory is somehow connected to our inheritance as believers. This is our riches in Christ. The glory of God, just the glory of God, is, is literally incapable of being defined. The glory of his essence his majesty, when you see the word the glory of God, it is literally a combination of all of his attributes and there's no word to explain or define that. The first time we find the, the, the mention of the glory of God, it is in Exodus chapter 16 where the children of Israel were, had, had come out of, uh, well, let me just turn over there right quick. I'm going to put all this stuff on the church website. You can look all these verses up later. If you want to just listen, I don't want you to get distracted trying to chase all these verses. I got a ton of them. But in Exodus chapter number 16, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. 
And here's what he said. Here's what Aaron said. In verse number seven, in the morning, when you shall see the glory of the Lord. In the morning, when you shall see the glory of the Lord. When you get down to verse number 10, and it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. It was a cloud. The first mentioned principle is fascinating to me. I try not to get on too much of a tangent with it. But I think it's interesting that the first time we see a reference, Dr. Bittner, to the glory of the Lord, it is a cloud. How do you put your hands on that? How do you get your hands around that? And it's real. Oh, trust me tonight. The glory of the Lord is real. In fact, it's more real than pretty much anything you and I encounter in a day. But you can't get your hands on it. Now, the first time it's mentioned, it was a cloud. When you get over to chapter 24 of the book of Exodus we see another manifestation of the glory. The Bible says in, in Exodus 24 and in verse number 17, verse number 16 rather, that the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days and the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount. It went from being a cloud to a fire. which tells me that the glory of God can manifest itself in more than one way. You get over to 2 Chronicles. Turn over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. I want to show you something. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I want you all to see this. There may be somebody sitting here tonight and say, I've never been to a church that, that... Talked about the presence of God and glory of God. Never been to a church before where people go to the altar during the singing. Never been to a church before where they just throw the schedule out the window, throw the, throw the menu out the window, change everything up. I've never been to a church before where it was so unscripted and where it was just so unorthodox. Second Chronicles 7, verse number 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Now this is Old Testament. This is an Old Testament temple. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he's good, for his mercy endureth forever. So the glory of God was manifested as a cloud. It was manifested as a fire. And then it was manifested in 2 Chronicles 7 as an impenetrable presence of God. 
So real, they couldn't go in. Imagine the glory of God filling the house to the extent they couldn't go in. Now let's just be honest, none of us have ever experienced anything even close to this. But I will say this tonight, and I'm not even gonna, not even gonna hesitate to say this. If you think that the realness of God and the presence of God and the glory of God was exclusively for the children of Israel in the temple days, you need this message more than you think you do. The realness and the presence and the glory of God is available to us today. Here's the problem. Most of us just don't want it. We just don't want it. In Isaiah chapter six and verse number three, the Bible says that the whole earth is filled with his glory. You say, well, that's a lot of glory. We ain't even got started good. Habakkuk chapter three and verse number three says his glory covered the heavens. The earth is filled with his glory. His glory has covered, covered the heavens. How do you cover infinity? Come on now. How much of something has there got to be to cover infinity? Are y'all getting this? Now this is the storehouse that you and I as believers have access to. We've all got debit cards to that ATM. And trust me when I tell you tonight, there ain't enough digits on that ATM for you to overdraw the glory of God. Not even close. We was talking this morning, D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody, great revivalist, evangelist, said he got in a, in a room, began to pray for God to reveal himself to him in a real way, in a personal way. He began to pray for the fullness, he began to pray for the presence of God in his life and he said God got so real in that room that he began to pray and call out for God to stay his hand. He said, you're gonna have to back off, I can't take no more. If you think this is pie in the sky, you can get up and leave now for all I care because we're living in two different worlds. I want that. I have had experiences and I don't place experiences above the word of God. I'm preaching Bible tonight. I'm talking about tapping into and experiencing for yourself being able to withdraw from the heavens that are covered with his glory and the earth is filled with his glory to be able to access that in my own personal life as a Christian. I've had it. I've done it. It's real. It's real. I don't think for one second that we've all experienced all there is of God to experience. I know I grew up listening to old timers talk about it and I wanted it. There wasn't even a little bit of part of me that wanted to laugh at them or mock them 
or even doubt them. I said, I didn't even want to doubt them. I believed them. Mays Jackson said, I know some of y'all tonight don't believe me, and that's your problem. You don't believe nothing. Scorners and scoffers and mockers. When I hear an old white-headed preacher that walked with God talking about experiencing God, he had my he had my attention. He had my attention. I told about it Sunday night about going all night prayer meetings. And I told him this morning, I said, not once in one of those all night prayer meetings did I ever experience God's presence and power and glory in that particular moment. But I experienced it many times outside of those all night prayer meetings. And I believe being there was one reason why God revealed himself to me. He knew I wanted it. He knew I wanted it. You get over to Exodus chapter 33. Turn over there. Exodus chapter number 33. Moses. Moses is. He's living in an, on another level. Yes, sir. With God. Oh, yeah. In Exodus 33. Yes, sir. I want you to see this. In Exodus chapter number 33, verse 8, as it came to pass, Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. You believe, you believe God will talk to you? Now listen, we have here the complete, the complete word of God. All right. there, there is no more extra biblical revelation. If somebody gets them in the pulpit and said, God told me this, and they put it on the same level as this Bible, they're a false prophet. They're a liar, all right? There, 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 there are no more visions and revelations. What we have right here, we got all of it. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. We don't put any, we don't have visions. We don't, we don't, we don't, people that have visions, they just had probably had too many anchovies on their pizza. We don't have extra biblical revelation. This is it. This is all we're going to get right here. But the, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, which is, which is God, God the Holy Ghost, will talk to you and commune with you and will bring things to your remembrance. Jesus said, I got to go. If I don't go, I can't send the comforter. Jesus says, while I'm here, I can do all that. I can, I can lead you, and I can guide you, and I can rebuke, and I can remind, but I got to go so everybody that's saved in the whole world can have what you just few disciples have when you're with me. Are y'all getting this? It's, it's expedient that I go away, and, and, and I can send you another, another comforter. See, Jesus was a comforter. He sent another comforter. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is one of the most unappreciated and underutilized ministries and aspects of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit of God will have things and do things and say things and you can experience things through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that you and I can't even begin to imagine. 
It's, to say it's supernatural is, is an understatement. But we're in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament says, and the Lord spoke, talked talk with Moses. Do you, do you talk to God? Does God talk to you? All the people, verse 10, stood, saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshiped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake with Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Whew. Now, if you think that a New Testament Christian cannot experience an intimacy and a fellowship and a communion with God, you don't know your Bible. This is Old Testament. And look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And Moses said in verse 15, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. I don't want to go without your presence. The Lord spoke unto Moses, verse 17, I will do this thing also thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee, I know thee by name. Now, if Moses had been most people, he'd have been satisfied with that. He just talked with the creator of the universe face to face as a man talks to his friend. He just said, I don't want to go without your presence. And God said, you got my presence. I'll be with you. And I know you by name. Moses wasn't finished. Verse 18, I beseech you. I beg you, show me thy glory. What was he asking God for? What did he expect? What was he wanting? There's already a cloud. There's already communion. There's already a guarantee that my presence will be with you. And there's an intimacy. God said, I know your name. He said, show me your glory. What are you asking for? I'm going to tell you what he was asking for. He wanted to see God. That's what he wanted. God, I want you to show me you. I want to see you. God said in verse number 19, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. You can't handle it in this body. You and I in this sinful, physical, fleshly body, 
our body could not handle. Just like you ain't supposed to look at that ark when that welder's welding, you're not supposed to look at it. Just like you're not supposed to look at the directly into the sun when there's an eclipse, unless you're Trump, then you can do it. But nobody can look at it. You're not supposed to look at it. Your body can't handle it. There's adverse reactions to that much light and that much brightness. God said you can't handle it. You could not look at me and live. When you say you want God, do you really mean it? Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me, verse 21, thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by. That I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. I'm going to give you a glimpse of my back, but I'm going to put you in this cliff of this rock. It's just going to be a little sliver of daylight. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pass by. I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to just pass by, and I'm going to move my hand and let you get a glimpse of my hinder parts. So his glory in one place is a cloud. His glory in another place is a fire. And in this Verse, his glory is him. Y'all understand why I said I don't know how to preach this. I'm in over my head preaching this. So that's what he does. Look at chapter 34, verse 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand that he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come nigh him. Verse 33, and until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. They said, we can't handle it. We cannot have a conversation with you like that. You're going to have to accommodate us. And so he put a veil over his face so they could communicate. Because see, just that little brief encounter, that little glimpse, that brief encounter of the glory of God so transformed his skin. The Bible says his skin. It says it twice, his skin. What am I saying? I'm saying that there is a relationship with God that will change your flesh. That will change you on the outside. You cannot encounter God to any extent, but what there won't be a transformation. In fact, Paul used this very illustration in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn over there. You got to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. He's talking about this very story. 
2 Corinthians 3 verse 7, for if the manifest ministration of death written and engraven in stones, talking about the Ten Commandments, was glorious so that the glory of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Moses said, Paul, Paul said, you think that was something? You think that effect that it had on Moses, on that mountain, seeing the hinder parts of the glory of God just for a brief glimpse, brought about that kind of a change and that kind of a transformation. How much more powerful is the new? How much more powerful is the spirit of God than that? Man. For if the ministration of condemnation, verse 9, be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. We're talking about the riches of the righteous. Those of us that are saved have access to the riches of the glory of God. For even that which was made glorious, verse 10, had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that it excelled. He said, in comparison, it doesn't even begin to compare. Are y'all getting this? What Moses experienced on that mountain is nothing compared to what we as Christians have access to when it comes to the glory of God. He said in verse number 13, not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of which of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even in this day, when Moses is read, the veil's upon their heart. In other words, they can't receive the truth because they're blinded. Right. Nevertheless, verse 16, when it shall turn to the to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So when we get a glimpse of the glory of God, it will produce a change, a transformation. You want to tell people you've been with God. They won't be able to look at you if you've really been with him. You're going to offend them. They're going to say, you're going to have to dial that back, buddy. You can't be talking like that over here. You can't act like that over here. We don't want to hear that. They're going to want you to put a veil over to accommodate them because there's going to be such a transformation in your life. They can't handle it. Can't handle it. And here, right here, here is the problem. Most people know that and would rather accommodate their lost family and friends than experience God. And I'm going to tell you something else I've discovered. <clears throat> I've discovered that in the scriptures, those that experienced the glory of God 
in a supernatural, unbelievable way, most of the time they were by themselves. Moses was on top of Mount Sinai 40 days, didn't eat or drink. Now you can fast from food for 40 days, but you can't go 40 days without drinking. But he did. And it was in that state of isolation that he experienced and saw God like he'd never seen him before. What about, what about on the Mount of Transfiguration where the Bible says he took Peter, James, and John apart, apart up into a mountain and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified body, in his glorified form, which is a mystery to me that they saw him like that before the resurrection. <clears throat> but it's really not a mystery because he was God. I guess the mystery is how he didn't look like that all the time. I guess the mystery is how he didn't look like that all the time because that's who he was. Well, they saw him, they fell on their face. Apart. Then you get over to Revelation chapter number one and you got John. John says, I was, in, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That right there is where most of us fall off the turnip truck. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Revelation 1, look at it. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. By the way, when you're in the spirit... It's different than when you're not in the spirit. It's not a frame of mind. It is a state of being. Am I going too fast for you? I was in the spirit. I was in the Holy Ghost. I was fully controlled and led by the Holy Spirit of God. He was in the perfect will of God. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard a voice. I'm not reading it. I believe it says I heard the voice of many waters. I like many waters. Is that what it says? Huh? Trumpet. And look, look at what he does. I turned. I turned. He was already in the spirit. He hears something supernatural. You know what he said? I believe I'm going to turn around and see what this is. Right. By the way, if you ever see his glory, you're going to have to turn around. Yeah. You're going to have to turn. That burning bush over there that yeah. was not consumed Moses said, I will now turn aside to see. I better turn over to Revelation 1. I don't want to misquote this. I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Revelation 1, verse 10. Verse 12, he says, and I turned to see. 
Are y'all ready for this? Dr. Bittner, I turned to see the voice. He saw an inanimate object. I didn't turn to hear the voice. I turned to see the voice. I'm doggy paddling up here to keep from drowning. I turned to see the voice. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. You won't never see Jesus half naked. Just thought I'd throw that out. I said, you won't ever see the Son of God half naked. The only time you see him in the Bible naked was on the cross. And they did that to him for part of his punishment. He didn't like it. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. There it is. I knew I didn't make that up. His voice was like a, a trumpet in verse 10, Then it was like, the, it was like a waterfall. It's like a waterfall. It sounded like a, a tornado, a monsoon. And I... He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I believe he got a little glimpse of his glory. You better believe he did. And it's no coincidence that he's isolated on an island all by himself. Huh? What about Isaiah chapter number 6? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. I don't want to misquote these verses. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his what? Glory. The Bible says, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the whole house was filled with smoke. What did God have to do for Isaiah to get a glimpse of his glory? He had to take King Uzziah off the throne. He had to take all other lords and masters off the throne. And he saw God sitting on the throne. As the songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the power of of his glory and grace. You ever see God, get a glimpse of God, it will change you. But here's the thing, you won't see him, you won't see him till you want to see him. The 
If you ever see him, he will change you. All three times their reaction was they fell on their face. Genesis, Isaiah, Revelation 1. All three times. Mount of Transfiguration. Every time God ever manifested his glory, the human reaction was to fall flat on their face. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Something about getting a fresh glimpse of God will give you a fresh glimpse of you. And when you and I ever see him like he really is, then we will see ourselves like we really are. And there's no room for pride, self-righteousness. There's no place for self-sufficiency in the presence of his glory. None whatsoever. I remember old timers talking about the glory of God. Talking about his glory. In fact, they would use the phrase, they would say, I got in the glory. That's what they'd say. I got in the glory. Now, if you have never been in the glory, you have no idea what they're talking about. But, but glory is a word in the Bible that's used to describe where God is. Yeah. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Glory is heaven. It's where God is. It's where his presence is. Well, I'm trying my best to scratch this out. I believe it is possible don't fall out with me. I believe it is possible to experience such a, such a revelation of the glory of God as a Christian that you can literally forget that you're on planet earth. Because I've done it. And I don't live there. I don't believe any of us can live there. But I've been there. Now, I'm, not, I'm not Benny Hinn. Okay? Don't, don't fall out with me. I'm not talking about charismatic stuff. I'm not. I'm not. I'm talking about where you get just a glimpse of God and it's so real that everything else just melts away and it's just you and God. I was over at Brother Barley's house. Uh, was that yesterday morning? Brother Barley was over at Charles' house. I was over doing something for him and I had my phone playing a song about heaven. I had a little Bluetooth speaker and I was just doing some stuff for them that I'd been trying to get over there and do for months and finally just did it. And I had my speaker playing. I was just working and I was playing that music and I got listening to the words of that song talking about heaven. And I can't explain it. But something inside of me got stirring. Something inside of me got to boiling up. <coughs> and I got, I got to crying and I said, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking out loud. Ain't nobody in that house but me, me and the Lord. I said, I believe I'm going to listen to that one again. And I just backed that thing up, and it started playing again. And I was walking around that living room going, Woo! I'm telling you, if somebody had a camera on me, they thought I was lost my mind. I was walking around there going, Woo! Woo! And I said, it got done. I said, I believe I need to listen to that again. And I listened to that song about four or five times. And I walked right in the living room going, whoo. And it was just me and God. And I got a glimpse of his glory. 
You say you're crazy. Crazy as a sprayed roach. Better believe it. It's real. I've been going down the road before and God gets surreal in the truck. I had to pull over. I'm telling you, I mean, I've had God get so real when I was praying. I had to stop praying and just sit there. I was telling them about it this morning. There was one time, a pleasant view, one Sunday morning, God showed up. Are y'all okay with all this? I'm talking about the riches of his glory. We can have it. You can have it. It's there. We're sitting in the service one Sunday morning and God fell down in that place so thick I couldn't talk. And I went and sat down in my chair. You was there. I went and sat down in my chair. For about 15 minutes, none of us could do nothing but just sit there. And nobody wanted to do anything. We just wanted to sit there and experience God. No singing, no talking, nothing. Just sitting there. And it was about 10 or 15 minutes before it eased up enough where I could get up. Ain't that right? Was you there? And I didn't know one time this ever happened. I said, preacher, what in the world are you preaching about? I'm just talking about the riches of his glory. I'm just trying to give you a little insight into what is available. You say, well, I don't think I want that. Well, I do. I want to experience God's realness and presence and fullness. And I want to see his glory more than anything in this world. And I believe there's a good group of us in here tonight that share that feeling. I ain't talking about spooky stuff. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about unscriptural stuff. I'm talking about God. Now, if they could have it in the Old Testament in a, in a temple, and all of us in here have the Holy Ghost indwelling us, you tell me why we can't have it. I'm going to tell you why we can't have it. We don't want it. Let's just be honest. We don't want it. And we don't want to do what we've got to do to get it. And if you're waiting on somebody else to get it, or experience it, or see it before you do, you may never have it. God is a personal God. And he's no respecter of persons. You can have all of him that you want. Draw not a God, and he will draw not at you. Let me give you one verse and I'm going to wrap this up. Okay, not one verse. A couple verses. Ephesians 3, 16. I'm back where I started. That he would grant you. Well, it's all one sentence. Because each verse ends with a semicolon. So it's all one sentence. It's one long, continuous thought. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. See, that's, that's it right there. That's what you got to get plugged into. 
to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Watch this now. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. How is that even possible? To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. How? How? Can the glory that fills the earth and covers the heavens, how could I be filled with all the fullness of God? Now unto him, here we go, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. My goodness, I got to slow down. It's, it's, it's getting deep quick. Unto him, verse 21, be glory. Let me see if I got this right. When we tap into his glory, and when we experience the riches of his glory, in return, it gives him more glory. Am I reading that right? Huh? I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just reading verses. Y'all have to pray for me up here. When we experience the riches of his glory, what he does in us and with us and through us produces glory in the church. And he can look down on the church and say, that's what I'm talking about. They finally figured out what they have. They finally figured out how to tap into. They finally figured out how to work that debit card. And make some withdrawals on the glory. And let it do something in them. And they can understand the, and they can know what you can't explain. And experience what you can't define. And he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. So just go for it. Whatever you can ask for and whatever you can imagine, he can do exceeding abundantly above, far beyond that. No, I don't think any of us have begun to experience the fullness of God even close to what we have access to. But I hope tonight maybe somebody decided, I want to get in on that. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we have an invitation, as we have altar call tonight. I pray that something was said in this message, Lord, as mixed up and hodgepodge as it was, that would create within us, Lord, a desire and a longing to experience the riches of his glory.